This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Hockey Podcast is sponsored in part by SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. Better yet, Keeping Carlson listeners save $20 off their first purchase by entering the promo code KEEPING at checkout. Try the app, SeatGeek, the better way to buy tickets. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson skulle jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Welcome back, Carlson, Thank you, everybody, for joining us for the 169th episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their pools, some keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot himself, the maestro of the matchup, the player projection pundit, the ad drop ace, Brian Tom. <laughs> You're just sharing them all at once. I thought you were going to spread those out. Thank you for the wonderful introduction, Elon. Hello to you. Hello, everyone. Uh, yeah, welcome to another episode of Keeping Carlson. You know, you, you know, you'd have to be a fool to not want to keep Carlson. In fantasy hockey, sometimes there's a, a, a legit return you can get back for him. But in real life, you got to keep Carlson. No question. What if he can't afford him? He wants top dollar. Then you shouldn't own an NHL team. All right. Well, I don't know. I guess that's true. I probably don't want to get into that. You tweeted last week. You got so many likes, Brian. One of your best ever tweets. Just if you, whining, if you whining about uh, how the, you don't want to buy Sens tickets anymore. And everyone was like, hooray, well done. <laughs> if you can't afford to have a generational talent on your roster as an owner... Like then, then you're on the you're in the wrong business. How do you trade away someone like that? I was trying to think today of like other generational talents that have been traded away, and I couldn't think of anyone quite up to Carlson. Like I, I thought of Thornton, I thought of Sagan, I thought of Taylor Hall, but neither quite comes to the level of Carlson. Like I feel like you'd have to go back to Wayne Gretzky to get as big a name moving from one team to another in such a such a great part of their career. All right. All right, this isn't even news. Like, he hasn't even been traded. It's like it came out in the news that he might not sign with the Sens. Maybe this isn't the most fantasy relevant thing to talk about right now. If and when Eric Carlson gets traded, we might dedicate a whole episode of our podcast breaking it down. But why don't we get into our content for this week? We've got so much to talk about. Outjuries, injuries, the, you know, the whole bag. Everything. Hashtag Melnick out. 
Enough. Enough. Okay. <laughs> you know what? Website is not out. Hashtag Dauber Hockey. <laughs> they are fantastic. And we're so proud to be presented by that site. They have articles every day breaking down what's going on in fantasy daily ramblings. Like it's so handy. Just like get a recap of everything that happened the day before, which players are looking up, looking down. Plus you've got all the tools, starting goalies at goalie post. You got line combinations at frozen pools. It's the best. Obviously you know about it. Dauberhockey.com. Check it out all the time. Brian, let's get started. I want to start with outjuries this week. We actually have a lot of injuries, but those are sad. I want to be happy. So let's talk about some returns and specifically some returning goalies. Let's start in Edmonton. Cam Talbot is back and he was really solid in a 3-2 win over Minnesota yesterday. He stopped 29 of 31 shots. He only has a 905 save percentage on the season so far in 23 games. So hopefully his little uh, vacation, as we like to call it on the show, didn't did well. It's worked out for some other goalies who have had to go away with injury then come back maybe with a renewed sense of purpose, ready to go. The Oilers are on an interesting stretch right now. In the last 8 games, they have like lost one, lost one, lost one, lost one. They can't put two wins together, but hey, at least they don't lose two in a row. Better than mostly losses like they had at the start of the season. Brian, what do you expect now that Talbot is back? Can the Oilers win enough to bring Talbot back to Tier 2 like we had him going into the season for goalies? I don't know that we can expect enough wins from Edmonton to bring Talbot up to Tier 2. The Oilers still have serious problems with depth. And if it weren't for Ryan Nugent Hopkins doing yeoman's work on his line, then the Oilers would be even worse off than they have been so far. Uh, their, Their defensive and forward personnel in the middle and bottom of their lineup is still definitely a concern. And that's why I'm not sure that Talbot can get all the way back up to tier two status, regardless of how he plays. But Talbot himself has a little room to regress in a good way. And it's certainly a good tier three option with upside if Edmonton does get on a run. Okay, so you say regress. Isn't there a word that's like the opposite of regress? Like- we've, we've been through this. We, at one point, we started saying progress to the mean, but statistically, that's not a thing you're ever supposed to say. So I guess if we, if we wanted to, to hurt our own statistical credibility to just make more sense, I think then we-, uh, we could do that. So it actually seems like a sensible thing to start saying progressing to the mean. Sure. Like, uh, by the way, Brian, outjury, not a real word. We just made it up. We get some artistic license here. Uh, Okay, so we're talking about the Oilers. Hopefully Talbot will settle in. I think he'll clearly be better than the 905 goalie he was before. Like, he's been good for too long to be that bad. Hopefully he'll at least get to league average, maybe better, maybe like 918. That'll help the Oilers get some wins. Who knows if he'll be good enough to be, like, worth where you drafted him last year, which was probably in the first, like, two or three rounds of your pool. Okay, Brian, let's talk about Connor McDavid, who is rolling right now. Can't talk about the Oilers, not bring up Connor McDavid, of course. He has two goals, eight assists in his last eight games, slowly inching back towards the scoring lead. Like, he was pretty far back. Now he's really close. He's tied for third with Tavares, Voracek, Bailey, and uh, Stamkos has 43 points, Kucherov has 46, and then all those guys, like I said, have 40. Right? who's your Art Ross pick at this point? And side note, how is Josh Bailey keeping up with these guys? My Art Ross pick is the same as it always has been. It's still Connor McDavid. I think he's going to pull it out, although Kucherov certainly showing that he's hanging up there with him. I think those those guys will be 1-2 at the end of the season. Josh Bailey, it's crazy what he's been up to. What's crazier is that if you blacked out his point totals, which are up in a big way, both even strength and on the power play, most of his shot generation and expected goals rates look just about the same as they have the past couple of years. Uh, three numbers of his really jump out from the rest. 
His even strength individual shooting percentage is up at 15%. That's twice as high as the 7% he's shot in the last two seasons. His even strength on ice shooting percentage is up near 11.5%, which is about 2% higher than last season when he also spent most of his time with John Tavares. So you can't even say it's up a couple points because he has better line mates. It's up a couple points because more pucks are going in, probably more than are supposed to. And the third number that jumps out is that Josh Bailey's power play on ice shooting percentage is up at 20%. On the power play, you're expecting to get like a high number, although that's a lot more success than he saw last year. He was he saw 10% on ice shooting percentage. That's a It's a top 20 number that he's got there in the NHL. It's a top 12 number if you take out all defensemen and only look at forwards. And it's a top 10 number if you take out the five Nashville Predators who are ranked in the top six spots for power play on ice shooting percentage. Matthew Perot is the lone non-predator in the top six. Uh, But going back to Josh Bailey, that high power play on ice shooting percentage is the reason he's presently on pace for 42 power play points. So like, there's definitely reason to think that Josh Bailey is going to slow down. I will cop to his line looking truly unstoppable and to Bailey himself looking really super this year. But if you can sell high for another point per game player or even someone who's going to get more than 70 points, I would do that. Yeah, actually, this whole Islanders top line and power play is like so impressive. We just had a question from one of our patrons earlier today. He was asking if he should trade Pacioretty for Anders Lee. And I was just like, yeah, just just do it. Like, I know my brain says, no, come on, Pacioretty. He like has been doing so well for so many years. Anders Lee, we thought of him as like a 50, 55 point guy going into the season. At this point, Anders Lee has 35 points in 33 games. And Pacioretty went as like 18 points. I know that Pacioretty's probably going to improve a bit. Maybe Anders Lee will go down a bit, but... The way things are going, I don't know. I'd, I'd want Lee. I know you were saying that you want to be conservative and go for Pacioretty. So I, w- I, would, I would have them projected to be on the same point pace the rest of the season, which is somewhere between 60 and 65 points. The one reason you'll want Pacioretty over Anders Lee is if your league counts shots on goal. Pacioretty on pace for 328 shots on goal. And uh, Anders Lee is going to have 128 shots fewer if he continues on his same pace the rest of the way. So like a couple extra points, if you want to even give Lee the edge in productivity, the the gap in the shots on goal count, if they both keep up their current paces, which I think they can, uh, is going to be enough to swing it back towards Pacioretty. Yeah, I get that. This particularly didn't count shots. So that was one thing that I was considering. The thing is, I don't know, like, there's also something about having consistent production. It's just really nice to see Anders Lee and Tavares and Bailey all just putting up points on a nightly basis. Anyways, weren't we talking about the Oilers? Let's go back there. So obviously with McDavid rolling, his line mates are rolling right along with him. And for the first time in a while, the lines seem to have stabilized somewhat. It's been McDavid, Lucic, and Puliyarvi for at least a couple weeks now. There was that stretch where there was Kajula and... Yamamoto, you know, there was a a bit of a bicycle. What's the saying? Revolving door. Revolving door. (laughs) You're good, Brian. Uh, Of of players playing with McDavid, but yeah, Lucic and Pugliarvi, they're both doing really well. Like Lucic has five points in his last five games. Three of those on the power play. So Milan Lucic also on the top power play as he's been ever since he joined the Oilers. He has 24 points in 33 games overall, which is a 60 point pace, which would be his highest point total since his Boston days if he could keep it up. Plus, keep in mind this 60 point pace that he's on a lot of the season wasn't playing with McDavid. So his point pace with McDavid is, I'm sure, a lot higher. His career highest. 62. Do you think he can beat his career high if he stays in this spot all year? I know it's a big if. It changes a lot, but it seems like for for now, for the first time in a while, they've had it pretty steady. 
I'm sorry. I just can't stop thinking about this bicycle. I think you might you might have been going for town bicycle. Like, I don't know the, the spot. Okay, so Lucic can he beat his his career high? Going back to your question, I was looking at Lucic actually as a potential trade target a few weeks back and was pretty pleased with what I saw. His shooting percentage looks right, so a 20 goal pace seems realistic. But the conversion rates of his line mates are high, so a 40 plus assist pace that he's on right now that seems a little optimistic. I'm going to conservatively bump him down to a 55-point pace the rest of the way, but that's if he doesn't spend it all with Connor McDavid. Um, That's still something to be happy about, by the way, if he moves away from McDavid and manages 55 points. That's him meeting expectations after having given you 40% of a season where he's exceeded your expectations, and then, of course, he's still got a chance at holding or beating 60 if he does stick with McDavid and keep racking up assists on McDavid magic. Yeah, and by the way, Paul in the chat room saying revolving like a bike wheel. So that, yeah, that's probably what I was getting at, I think. I thought Uh, Town Bicycle was way, everybody gets a ride. Everyone gets a turn. Oh yeah, that works. Let's go with that. Okay, uh, Pooley Arvey, he has four points in his last five. He only actually played nine minutes and 49 seconds. Yesterday, I didn't get a chance to look into why his ice time was so low, but it wasn't like he had a big penalty. So it wasn't that. I guess he was benched for a while. So I don't know if that's a sign that maybe he could get bumped from that top line at some point. He's obviously the one that I'd be more concerned about just because he's not even on the top power play. And he's been on that top line and bumped many times. What's your sense right now? Like At one point, it seemed like Pat Maroon was guaranteed to be the one to stay on that line all season long. And then even he got bumped. So how confident would you be in rolling with Jesse Pugliarvi right now? I feel like if he's in free agency and your league is at least somewhat deep, like if it's not like awesome superstars in free agency all the time, he should probably be owned while he's on this line, even if it won't last, right? Yeah, I think you should. Three of his last four points have come with McDavid in the same scoring line. So obviously it'll be helpful to Pugliarvi if he keeps sharing ice time with McDavid. It's really odd, by the way, that Pugliarvi had a season-low ice time the night after seeing the second most minutes he'd seen all year. And even odder, Elon, uh, you seem to be the only one who's noticed based on me browsing through our main Edmonton media sources and trying to figure out exactly why that happened. So good eye, Elon, on that one. Anyway, it's nice to see Pugliarvi showing some sustained scoring ability. You know, who cares? Like if he can't do it without McDavid right now, he's with McDavid and that may make or break his fantasy relevance. But as long as he's there, I'm happy to have him up there. I'd be okay if we never found out this season, if Pugliarvi can produce away from Connor McDavid, because that means that he's going to be producing, I don't know, maybe near Milan Lucic's numbers on that top line. Okay, yeah, and so obviously let's bring up Oscar Clefbaum. He continues to be brutal. He had a pointless game every game, like every game, is pointless with him. It's so frustrating. Why do I have him in my main three leagues is what I wrote when I started preparing for this episode. But then I actually had a trade yesterday in the couple, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. And I sent off Clefbaum, Reimer, and Tyler Johnson for Dustin Bufflin. So that was a very exciting trade for me. I had to clear out some IR spots. But yeah, Clefbaum, did I blow it? Did I get rid of him too soon? Did I give up too quickly? Well, if you were going to trade him, it probably would have behooved you to have traded him around game 10 or 15 rather than saying, well, I'll give him 30 games to see what happens and then give up on him. Of course, you were patient because I was saying, well, he's taking a lot of shots. He's blocking as well. And the upside is still there, which remains the reason to hold on to him unless you can make him part of a deal that you are sure makes your team better and takes away that waiting and that hope and that optimism that you need to hold on to while having him in your lineup. 
plus the concern that Andre Sekera is inching closer to his return, which might eat in to that power play time, which a lot of people are like, okay, at least Clefbaum's on the top power play. He must produce soon. We'll see. Okay, and related, since we're talking about Clefbaum, there's another player that's been on my mind recently, Justin Falk. We always say, hold on to Justin Falk. He's pointless in 11 in Carolina, but he's still on the top power play like Clefbaum, but damn, like, if he were, Brad, I'm curious to ask you, if Justin Falk was dropped in your couple tier one Sweden division tomorrow. Would you be like making a big like $10 fab bid and trying to add him? Or do you feel like at this point he's waiver wire fodder? I think I would make him a, a measured ad. I don't know that I'd spend $10 on him, but I'd probably prefer him to my other bottom defenseman right now, who is Brent Seabrook, who, by the way, time for your weekly Brent Seabrook update. He has two assists. In his last three games, during which he also has 12 shots and eight blocks. So finding a way to just hang on by the skin of his teeth again. I would, would I prefer Falk over that? Yeah, probably. I'll take the shots on goal. And of course, you're waiting on the upside. But no, I wouldn't feel great about it. I'd be annoyed. I'd be like, dang, I have to add this guy just because I know the potential is there. The deployment's there. The shots are there. Nothing is happening, though. And uh, that would be that would have to be my cross to bear for as long as I'm willing to hold on to him. Yeah, but Falk is like pretty meaningless. Like sure, he's taking some shots, but his point production is nothing, but he is on that top power play. So I guess it's one of those guys where sure at any time he could go on a run, but I've like pretty much lost faith that he's going to be like a reliable guy on your roster in fantasy. Like you're not expecting when you have a week of three Carolina games to get more than like one point out of Justin Falk. That's my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, let's go to our next outchery. Another goalie, Matt Murray, is back for Pittsburgh. He had a good return in the 2-1 loss to Vegas earlier in the week. He stopped 24 of 26 shots. He only stopped 15 of 17 over Arizona yesterday, but he got the win. So that's not very good, actually. 15 out of 17, you should stop more. But whatever, Pittsburgh was going to win that game no matter what. Do you think that Murray's vacation will help him improve on his crappy save percentage so far? He's only been a 906 goalie at this point. We had Matt Murray as Tier 1 in the offseason, we were ranking our goalies in Schmore Goaliesborg. Do you think he still belongs in Tier 1, or is his poor production so far this year means that you think he should be demoted? Well, before we talk about Matt Murray, how about we tip our hats to Tristan Jari? He went 5-2-0 with a 9.24 save percentage over eight appearances while Matt Murray was out. So that's amazing. Congratulations, Tristan Jari. And now we're talking about Matt Murray, who maybe can't sustain... Uh, that high save percentage the rest of the way that he's come back from injury with, but it's still clearly on one of the league's best teams, which is the really important piece about him. So a league leading wins count probably helps him get back up to tier one, even if his save percentage is like barely higher than league average the rest of the way, as I imagine it might be. One thing to keep in mind, if you're a Matt Murray owner, Tristan Jari proved to be a legit backup option so with the pens having played so much hockey in the last two years going all the way and winning the stanley cup finals they must figure it's a good idea to maybe not give their number one goalie matt murray a workhorse type workload if they can afford not to and jari's turn in the starters crease gives them the luxury of perhaps resting murray five seven eight ten i don't know more times that many more times than they could have if they had say anti-niemi backing up instead or if jari had just totally blown it yeah, something to keep in mind. Obviously, Murray's the starter. I don't see Jari stealing the job. And he actually had a couple bad games right near the end. But maybe he was tired. He'd never been a starting goalie before, at least in the NHL. But yeah, good to see Matt Murray back. I'm curious to see how he'll do moving forward. Obviously, Pittsburgh's a really good team. Murray's return was against his former teammate, Marc-Andre Fleury, who's been back for two games now and is right back to doing what he was doing before he got injured. 
Fleury stopped 35 of 37 in a 3-2 loss to Carolina and then stopped 24 of 25 in the 2-1 win over Pittsburgh. Vegas is playing today. They're actually losing 2-1 so far in the first. So I guess Marc-Andre Fleury isn't having as great of a... Oh no, it's Malcolm Subban playing. What are they doing? Why don't you play Marc-Andre Fleury? Hopefully Fleury's okay. I didn't realize that Subban was going to be playing today. Anyway, Fleury is really good. Like, Brian, how confident are you in him moving forward? The way Vegas is going... Like, they look like they're a pretty decent team. I don't know if you're willing to, like, admit that yet, but they do seem to be a pretty good team. Fleury seems to be at the top of his game, so he seems like a super valuable fantasy asset right now. I'm curious to know, would you trade Marc-Andre Fleury? Let's say you had Marc-Andre Fleury on your team and you had the ability to get Murray or Talbot for him. Would you make that trade without thinking twice like you would have going into the season? Or is there some doubt in your mind at this time? Maybe Marc-Andre Fleury is going to be one of the top fantasy goalies like he's been so far. If I could trade Marc-Andre Fleury and get Matt Murray back, absolutely. In a heartbeat, wouldn't even think about it. And Talbot's Talbot's a solid maybe, and that's high praise considering how low I'd had Marc-Andre Fleury going into the season. He's been insane on the penalty kill in a small sample. He's stopped 22 of 23 shots. His even strength numbers are looking pretty reasonable, though, if he can keep them up. But, like, he's now played a total of six games, not playing tonight, so... It's a little too soon to draw any conclusions the same way we weren't drawing conclusions about goalies after the first two weeks of the season. And we've also gone on at length about the wacky run support that all Vegas goalies have gotten from the hockey god-blessed Golden Knights. So before ideal flurry for Talbot, I would see if I can get a top five or ten goalie instead, cash in on Fleury's small sample of games played and Vegas Golden Knights hype. So basically you're dodging the question of Fleury versus Talbot. You're saying, oh, I'll just try to get someone better than Talbot. Yeah, I said maybe. Uh, I don't know. Would you? I don't know. Maybe not. I I think I'd want three, at least in a one-year league. I, I, think, I think it's probably about even the way that Edmonton has been worse than we imagined and Vegas has been better than we imagined. I still think Edmonton is probably the better team if they played a seven-game series against each other. I would take the Oilers. So maybe that means i take Talbot. Yeah. I, I, I ask you the questions. You don't have to ask me the questions. I'm the host. You're the expert. Let's keep it going that way. Uh, we've got a new name to fawn over in Vegas this week. Let's talk about Eric Halla, who was riding a five-game point streak, at least going into today, which he started with a one-goal, two-assist game versus Anaheim. So he has seven points in his last five games, again, going into today's game against Florida. He's up to 21 points in 27 games overall. Halla's playing with Perron and Neal, two guys who we've already fawned over in previous episodes. He's also apparently on the top power play with Marcia So Neal, Perron and Shea Theodore is Eric Halla like a must add if he's somehow available in your league or is his production unsustainable like we just talked about Jesse Pugliarvi before we were saying you pretty much need to add him if he's available who would you want between Halla and Pugliarvi I'm not answering Vegas Golden Knights questions that moratorium is still on for any skaters because the sky is clearly the limit for all of these guys I think I would prefer Pugliarvi for as long as he plays with McDavid but of course, that just means that Eric Halla is going to prove me wrong. Another Vegas Golden Knight, though, on the blue line that I'd like to give credit to. And also, Michael mentioned him in the chat like two minutes ago. I'm like, oh, yeah, I meant to bring him up tonight. Colin Miller, who had a six-game point streak earlier this year, back in October, caught all our attentions. Then went pretty quiet, but now has six points in his last seven. One goal, five assists, and 21 shots, which is fantastic. That's averaging three shots a game and that's not even so new from him like he has had several games this year where he's had two three or more shots on goal of course 
bunch of ones and zeros as well, as you'd expect from a defenseman of his ilk. But that's pretty good if you're looking to fill out your roster with like a third, fourth, fifth defenseman type, and you have garbage on your roster right now. He's a he's de- he's definitely an upgrade over garbage. Okay, upgrade over garbage. That's the new Brian Com compliment. All right, so I guess you don't want to answer Vegas forward questions. So just remember, people, I mentioned it. Eric Halla is doing well. I guess a lot of people are doing well. You probably want anyone on this top six on Vegas right now. It doesn't seem like any of them should be in free agency. William Carlson had slowed down. He has an assist today, though. He was pointless in three before. I was going to ask if you would drop, like, Carlson for Halla. Who knows? You don't know. I probably think you'd want Carlson over Halla, though, right? Will you at least tell me that? No. Okay, I was going to say, no? Oh, you won't no. tell me that. Okay. Is it weird, by the way, that William Carlson slowed down just as Eric Carlson started to finally get going? Eric Carlson has two with this his last three games. He had seven shots and eight blocks yesterday in the 3 nothing win over the Habs. Is the way the world works is only one Carlson can be good at a time? Was Eric slump all because of William Carlson's amazing hot streak? I think William Carlson might just be part of a vast worldwide conspiracy where the Sens are quietly shopping Eric Carlson and Carlson wants to okay his potential destination and to check it out, he goes to play for that team for a brief period of time, considering a switch to forward as well and scoring points under someone else's name, safely returning back to Ottawa when he's done checking things out. Uh, But William Carlson did score a point tonight, so maybe that whole theory is out the window. Uh, You know I'm still done projecting anything golden knights related though so i'm not uh i'm I'm not going to comment at all on william carlson he scored again tonight so maybe that yeah i don't know okay he had an assist tonight you point out nate schmidt scored the goal yeah well but eric carlson's not playing tonight so i'm waiting for the day when william and eric both have a good game on the same day We'll, we'll keep a watch out okay uh let's go to our next goalie outjury steve mason returned for winnipeg yesterday he played well in a tough two nothing loss stopping 28 of 30 shots he was Finally playing well also with two straight one goal against wins before getting injured last month. So Mason was starting to pick it up. Hopefully he's just going to keep that going. Meanwhile, Connor Hellebuck has been struggling lately as a 900 save percentage over the last month. That's 12 games played, though he is playing today. It's always fun when we're like trying to talk about players who are currently playing as we're talking about them. We know that the people listening will already know the result. And I'm seeing that Connor Hellebuck might shut out St. Louis today. So that's obviously going to help him hold on to his job. I was going to ask if Hellebuck owners should be nervous about Mason potentially threatening for that number one gig or at least eating into some of those starts? Should people be preemptively adding Mason? Obviously, like I said, this shutout today over St. Louis, if he can hold on, maybe I just jinxed it. That is something that's going to be in his favor. But at the same time, Winnipeg did spend some money on Steve Mason over the summer. And if he's playing well, I'd imagine he should get some more games. Connor Hellebuck, even before tonight, had earned a lot of rope. But his owners should definitely realize that Uh, His own numbers have really taken a dive lately. Hellebuck has only posted five quality starts in his last 11 outings going into tonight and an equal number of really bad starts where he's been in the low to mid 800s on the night. Now, Steve Mason is not quite banging down the door for more starts, but he's at least making his way up the stoop. I think he's probably worth an ad if he gets a spot start just because, well, maybe he'll be good. And also, Winnipeg's a very good team. Um, If you're in a deeper league where you need to make a speculative ad to get starts for your squad and you need goalie starts, maybe, maybe you start considering him. At least watch list him. Hellebuck owners need to be aware and at least ready to adapt if he begins to start three out of every four games instead of four out of every five or eight out of nine as he had while Steve Mason was out. And of course, the inverse of that is that maybe Steve Mason begins to start one out of every four or one out of every three if Hellebuck continues to struggle rather than being stapled to the bench for, again, four out of five games. 
Well, yeah, it's just nice to see that Steve Mason hasn't been terrible. Like, he looked d- disastrous at the start of the season, but a lot of goalies were bad at the start of the year. I, for some reason, it's always tricky for most goalies to get going. Like, Frederick Anderson had a horrible start, Camp Talbot, who we've talked about. So maybe Steve Mason will settle in and do well moving forward. This is definitely an interesting situation that I'll be watching closely. I'd be nervous as a Hellebuck owner if I had Steve Mason in free agency. I might consider adding him as a handcuff for the short term until things settle a little bit. On Winnipeg, we also have an injury. Dustin Bufflin, who I mentioned I just traded for, hopefully this won't last for long he's week to week with a lower body injury i'd imagine we won't see him until at least like 2018 but who knows uh he still hasn't scored a goal yet he played 28 games 69 shots no goals 15 assists so hopefully his vacation will is this even a good joke maybe i'll stop saying this vacation reference anyways hopefully his vacation will bring him that was the last time we'll bring him <laughs> some shooting luck and maybe he'll start scoring on more than zero of 69 interestingly jacob truba has taken Dustin Bufflin's spot on the top power play with Connor, Line, Shifley, and Wheeler. Myers is on the second power play unit, even though Myers was on the second. You know, like for a while, Truba wasn't getting any power play time. So it's interesting that they bumped him up. Maybe he's just the kind of guy he needs to play with the best or not at all when it comes to power play. Truba's actually having a good game today. He has a couple of assists so far. And, you know, he was pointless in three games before taking this job. So, Brian, I'm just curious to know, what do you think about Jacob Truba at this point? At least while Dustin Bufflin is out, is he a must-add because he's on that top power play? I know you're generally pretty down on him, and, like, he does help in hits and blocks. So if your league counts peripherals, and now he's on the top power play, I think he's a slam dunk. But let's say if it's just points, do you think Truba's going to be able to be productive? For peripherals, sure, but as my broken record repeats, Jacob Truba is not the offensive defenseman you wish for him to be. Also worth mentioning that Dustin Bufflin's Goals to shots ratio is decidedly not nice. Yeah, Brian, you really uh, are not into Jacob Truba as an offensive defenseman. I just feel like he did so well last year in a good opportunity. I think he's capable of doing well. Let's see how he does while Bufflin is out. Maybe I'll ask you again once Bufflin comes back if people should be like just quickly dropping Truba. I'm sure you're going to say yes. But for now, I would add him if he's available just because he's in that top power play. He's doing well today. Why not? Okay, let's go to Anaheim. Ryan Getzlaff is back. As I yelled about at the start of the show, he had nothing versus Carolina, an assist in each of his next two games at St. Louis and at Washington, a power play since yesterday against Washington. And since this is Anaheim, they obviously can't all get healthy at once. Unfortunately, Corey Perry went down on Monday and is week to week with a lower body injury. Horrible timing for Corey Perry, who was on a four-game point streak. He was surely going to benefit from Getzloff coming back. I'm sure the owners of Corey Perry were, like, so excited. Like, he's doing well. Getzloff is back. Sky's the limit. You know, week to week. Bummer. But so now let's take a look at the new Anaheim top six, at least what they were rolling yesterday at Washington. They had Getzloff, a guy named Kevin Roy, and Silverberg, and then Cogliano, Henrique, and Raquel. And then the top power play was Getzloff, Henrique, Raquel, Silverberg, and Cam Fowler. So this guy, Kevin Roy, in a good spot, right on the top line with Getzlaff and Silverberg. He had two goals against St. Louis on Thursday. Nothing yesterday against Washington. Who is Kevin Roy? And is he worth a stream while he's on this top line? Kevin Roy is a 24-year-old undersized winger from Lac Beauport, Quebec, or apparently the anglicized version of his birthplace is Greenfield Park, Quebec. I'm going to stick with Lac Beauport, though. Uh, he stands as 5'10" and weighs 170 pounds. The 2012 Anaheim fourth-round pick finished college in 2016, and Kevin Roy had had a pretty successful pro career so far, scoring 57 points over 77 AHL games with the Gulls of San Diego. He could be worth a stream on line one. He's got a weird scoring line for a line one complimentary piece, though those guys usually load up on assists, 
but he's got a Cy Young like six goals and one assist for seven points this season. Uh, those six goals are coming on 37 shots, which gives him a 38% shooting success rate. So you have to hope that the assists do come if he sticks on the top line, as you cannot count on the goals to keep coming the way they have. Okay, that's fair. So he's one of those guys we mention every week. Some player that no one's heard of on a good line. Maybe add him if you could get him as a streamer, but probably don't go too crazy. Adam Henrique, by the way, Brian, he's pointless since Getzlaff has returned. It's only three games. But, you know, if people added Henrique when he got traded to Anaheim, because it was a good spot for him, right? He was on the top line, the top power play with Getzlaff and Kessler out. He went on a really great run. He had six points in five games after he arrived in Anaheim. Is it now time for Henrique owners to let him go? Yeah, he's on the top power play, though I'd imagine he's at risk of getting bumped from that as well once Ryan Kessler comes back, which could be really soon. If Adam Henrique still is seeming better than your free agent options, he probably is until he gets officially bumped off power play one. If there is somebody hot out there, though, I would be okay making the swap. I wouldn't be grasping onto him. Yeah, that's fair. Raquel, by the way, another big name in Anaheim. He only has two assists in his last eight games. Before that, he had 18 points in 20 games. So Raquel started the season super hot and now is super cold. Kind of a bummer that he's not on the Getzlaff line. I kind of feel like if Corey Perry didn't get injured, they would have gone Getzlaff, Perry, and Raquel like they did for a lot of last year. So maybe that Perry injury really hurts Ricard Raquel. Curious to know, at this point, is it time to buy low on him? He had such a great start, like I said, and now he's cold. Seems like a good opportunity to maybe sneak in and get him before he goes hot again. Do you think he can bounce back? He had five shots on goal yesterday, so that's a nice start. I would rather frame Raquel's reason production as two assists in six games since returning from injury, not counting the games before he got injured. Uh, either way, it's still disappointing. I'm hoping for more of these five-shot games from Raquel. He was averaging three shots per game before being hurt, but since coming back, he's only averaging two shots per game. So if that shot rate bounces back up, I figure he's back on track. If not, we keep watching for another week or two with bated breath. Fair enough. And let's also mention Cam Fowler, two straight games with assists, power play assists yesterday. He has eight points in 14 games since returning from his injury. He's been the power play one quarterback. So he is fine. He's back. He's healthy. Seems like maybe it's time for people to forget about Brandon Montour in one-year leagues at this point. Like, would you be holding on to him? He's pointless in three, but if he's on the top power play, I mean, come on. Yeah, so he's still getting decent power play time, but not on the top unit, which is still meaning that he's on a thin second unit in Anaheim, given what their roster looks like. He's also doing little in shots on goal, even less in blocks. Still some hits for Montour, but I imagine there are better options out there in free agency if you are looking for hits with maybe a couple extra peripherals outside of them. So yeah, he seems pretty droppable at this point. So Brian, let's say someone is listening to this podcast and they're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. This Kevin Roy guy is on the top line with Gets Laugh. Like my league is pretty shallow. I'm not going to add someone like Kevin Roy, but it's interesting information. I wish I could use it. Guess what? You can use it because you could add him for super cheap playing daily fantasy on FanDuel. They are the sponsors of this week's episode. One of them, at least. We really love FanDuel. It's a really fun way to play fantasy hockey for everyday fans. New contests starting every day. You play whatever you want. Something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from starting at just one dollar you pick a contest you choose your team you pick which players you think are going to do well on that night you got a budget you got to pick decide which really expensive players to play then you have to pick a couple cheap players maybe kevin roy i don't know you watch your score in real time it's a lot of fun Brian, we've been doing our weekly 
fan duel contest for keeping Carlson. Last week, though, we said that there would be one, and then there wasn't one. Uh, usually it gets set up. We're not sure exactly what happened. We're going to be contacting them. The plan is, I think, that we're going to have another weekly Keeping Carlson Fan Duel League matchup this Tuesday. So definitely check out keepingcarlson.com slash fanduel or fanduel.com slash K-A-R-L. They both go to the same place. And check it out, because if we do play, I think I'm going to win. Brian, we didn't play last week which I think everyone is lucky that it didn't happen because I totally would have won. Edmonton beat Columbus 7-2. to I was definitely planning on loading up on Oilers. Vasilevsky got a shutout over St. Louis 3-0. I was definitely planning on taking Vasilevsky in nets. It's such a bummer that our contest didn't happen because I would have won for sure. Yeah, me too. Go figure. Even if our contest doesn't run this week, which we really hope it will, so you should just keep an eye on things later Monday night, uh, new users are still going to get free entry into the NHL breakaway with thousands of dollars in cash prizes guaranteed to pay out when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com and sign up with the promo code CARL. That's FanDuel.com, promo code K-A-R-L, voidware prohibited. Okay, we've got more Outries to get to. Ryan Johansson. Sorry, Ryan Johansson, as he's apparently called. And I feel like I've always mocked you for saying Johansson. It turns out that's his name. Frustrating for me. But okay, I'm going to roll with it. Ryan Johansson is back for the Preds, as is Scott Hartnell. Johansson scored yesterday. He also had two assists at Vancouver. So that's three points in three games since returning. The lines yesterday were kind of strange for Nashville in their 2 nothing win over Calgary. They were rolling Johansson, Arvidsson, and Nick Bonino. And then Fiala, Smith, and Turris, who we'll get to. And then Pontus Auberg, Philip Forsberg, and Callie Yarncrocks. So Forsberg, like, bottom six. It looked. And then Hartnell with Sissons and Watson. Then the top power play was Arvidsson, Forsberg, Johansson, Smith, and Subban. Craig Smith, that is. So that makes sense. That I don't know what's going on with Philip Forsberg, though. I wouldn't be too worried about him. Like, he is a, a 32 points in 38 games clip at this point. Like, that's where he is. He's at point per game. So I feel like even if you see him on the bottom six like do you worry about that kind of thing Brian if you have a superstar player like Philip Forsberg and he's somehow in the bottom six is that something that concerns you or just like I don't even care well you say that Philip Forsberg is in the bottom six but he's leading his team in average even strength ice time over the last three games so considering that plus his continued offensive output I'm not all that concerned as for Ryan Johansson I do like him for 60 points he's bounced back nicely from his slow start and even the shots are coming back for Johansson he's averaging two per game over his last 10, which is what we'd hoped for based on prior seasons. Uh, Till that point, he had only been getting one shot per game over his first 19 contests. So yeah, it's a good sign he's shooting more. And Philip Forsberg, not really in the bottom six. I guess maybe you could consider it like a top nine and a bottom three then. Because like you're not going to say Johansson, Arvidsson, and Benino is the third line. You're not going to say Fiala, Smith, Tourist. Or if you're going to say Fiala, Smith, Tourist is in the bottom, is like the third line, then that's the best third line in hockey because those guys are on such a run right now. Kevin Fiala is on a seven-game point streak. He has six goals in that span and three assists. Tourist is also on a seven-game point streak. He has 10 points in that span. He's up to 26 points in 28 games on the year. The Sens. Brian, don't you want to rant about the Sens? trading tourists for Duchesne and tourists is like a point per game player and then Craig Smith he had no points yesterday but he took four shots he has 10 points his last 10 games so that line is like unstoppable right now what do you think of these guys like if any of Fiala Smith or tourists are in free agency do people need to jump on them I'm gonna call it a lateral nine in Nashville how about that and yeah if any of them are available you should grab Fiala tourists Craig Smith they are on fire remember back when we were talking about josh bailey having a high power play on a shooting percentage and that five predators ranked in the top six in the league in that category fiala tourist and smith count for three of those five and that's showing especially 
in Kyle Turris' numbers. He has six power play points in his last 10. They have been an incredible even strength unit too, though. Shot attempts, shot attempt share, expected goals for, all looking really good. I'll take any of them on my fantasy team right now. If I had to pick which one I want the most, will I own Craig Smith? So I guess that speaks for itself. Uh, Craig Smith, then Fiala, then Turris? That's the order of their shot on goal counts and the opposite order of their power play production, even though Fiala is averaging the most man advantage time of the group over the last few games. It's a, it's a tough call. They're all doing really well. They're all playing a lot together. Uh, how about you? How would you rank them? I know, I know you're not the expert, but as the lay, as the lay person, how would you rank them? As the casual player of fantasy <laughs> hockey, uh, I mean, it's hard to ignore Craig Smith because he's also on the top power play. He's the only one of the three that's on the top unit. So that's really good. And like you said, he's taking the most shots. But it's also hard to ignore Kyle Turris, who's near point per game for the whole season. He was the biggest name like going into the year. He's the only one of the three that was probably drafted. Maybe Fiala had some heat from the playoffs last year. And Fiala, it's hard to ignore him as well. So I don't know. Maybe you go with what position you need in your lineup. Like Kyle Turris is a center. They're usually easier to find. So maybe I'll go Craig Smith. Uh, I don't know. Then I'll tie to Fiala and Turris. Honestly, it's very hard. I'm curious what the people in the chat room think. Uh, also, I'll just mention quickly, it's nice to see that Victor Arvidsson didn't get bumped from the top power play with Scott Hartnell back. Like, that was kind of annoying for the people who drafted Arvidsson that Scott Hartnell was playing on the top power play and Arvidsson wasn't. So nice to see him stay there. He has eight points in his last 10. A lot of people doing well on Nashville. Definitely owners of Nashville players, very happy. Okay, next outry, Evgeny Dadanov is back for Florida. He came back much earlier than expected. It was supposed to be like four to six weeks, and then he was back in basically like two weeks, just a little bit over. He didn't get back on line one or power play one in his first two games back. Florida's also playing today, and it doesn't seem like he's on either of those units today against Vegas though he does have an assist on a goal by Mike Matheson, also assisted by Trocek. So it seems like Dadnov's still playing on that Trocek line. The Panthers have been sticking with Nick Bjugstad on line one with Barkov and Huberdeau. But okay, let's focus on Dadnov first. He had no points in his first two games back. Now, like I said, one assist today. He also only had one assist in his last five games before getting injured. Are you worried about him, Brian? Or are you expecting him to get back to his scorching pace that he was putting up back at the start of the season? I'm worried that Jared McCann was on the Panthers' top power play last night and Dadanov wasn't, but seems like that should be a pretty easy bar for Dadanov to clear to get back onto that top unit. I definitely admit I'm a little concerned as a Dadanov owner in a couple leagues, but I'm hoping he's just being eased back into the lineup. He did come back a couple weeks sooner than anyone had expected, and his ice time is still a few minutes short of what he'd been seeing before he was hurt. So yeah, I'm a little worried, but I'm still hopeful that we're not seeing normal yet and that all will go back to normal for him deployment-wise and that his production will follow. We will have to check back in on him in the coming weeks, though. Okay, we definitely will. We'll also check back in on Bjugstad. Right now, he seems like a short-term ad. Like, if you're playing with Barkov and Huberdeau, I feel like that's similar to playing with McDavid. Maybe not exactly, but those are two really good line mates, and I think I would want Bjugstad on my team. He has a goal and assist in his last three games and nine shots in that span. I'm not sure what he's doing today, but overall, what do you think? Like, we've talked about Pugliarvi and Vegas players that you didn't want to discuss, but, like, do you see Bjugstad in a similar vein, or do you think he's, like, a step below someone like Pugliarvi? He's doing pretty well as long as he's on there. And I know how he's doing tonight because I'm against him in my full top division Sweden matchup. And he's been a one-man wrecking crew. He has now tied the matchup in power play points with a power play assist tonight. And he single-handedly made up the difference in the shots on goal category. He's been shooting so well. He has three or four shots on goal in, well, now eight of his last nine games played His totals are up to 29 shots and counting 
We'll see how many more he gets tonight in those last nine games. So yeah, I'd stream Bukestad in to help me at least in shots on goal and hopefully pick up a point here or there for as long as he's still hanging on the top line, getting great deployment. Yeah, everyone, check out your free agent list. There's some intriguing free agents potentially right now, depending how deep your league is. Okay, next, Audrey, let's talk about Jared Spurgeon. He's back today, and he's playing today for Minnesota, so I didn't write anything in my notes. I thought I would just check in real time and let you know what's going on. So it's 2 nothing for Chicago over Minnesota after two periods, and Jared Spurgeon is minus one, no shots, three blocks though, so that's good. He's helping you in the peripherals, and he's getting a ton of ice time, so it doesn't look like he's getting eased in. I'll have to check in and see about his power play and all of that maybe for next week but seems like if you were rolling with Matt Dumba and he he actually did pretty well he he went cold near the end of this run but then had a good game in the last game but now I'd imagine that Spurgeon is gonna bump Dumba from whatever spot he had though today they're both playing the same amount of ice time for what it's worth let's hope so if you're a Spurgeon owner that's what you need to see happen if you've been worried at all that Dumba's gonna hold his spot I've been saying I expect Spurgeon to be able to get back into it get his spot back maybe he'll have to re-earn it but at least he'll get a shot Uh, So yeah, we'll see if that happens. Elon, speaking about what we'll talk about next week, do you think now might be a good time to pause and let listeners know that there won't be a show next week? Oh, did I say next week? Yeah. Oh, oops. uh, Okay, let me tell you guys something about our schedule, if you're curious. I was going to say to the end of the show, but whatever. Yeah, next week is a holiday. You might have heard of it. It's called Christmas. A lot of people celebrate it. So I guess we're going to do so as well and not do a show. The patrons are going to still get a mailbag show this week. We might be on Wednesday. We'll announce that to the patrons. Then after this Christmas holiday, then the next week, we're not going to do a mailbag show. So we're going to take like one week off and then we'll be back at you after New Year's. New Year's is, I think, Sunday night. And then I think so we're probably going to not do a show then and we'll bump it like a couple days and we'll do Tuesday night. So hope you guys don't mind. We're going to take a week off of doing the podcast. If you're a patron, we're going to be in the Facebook group chatting just as always, or at least I will be. I'm sure Brian will be as well. And we'll still respond to your tweets. But yeah, sorry guys for the vacation guys, but hopefully we'll make up for it with great content for the rest of this episode. And if you miss us a lot, just re-listen to this episode. Hello, if you're listening for the second time around. You made it. (laughs) Okay. Taylor Hall suffered a knee injury last week, but he'll be back on Monday. So originally I had him in our injuries section, but I bumped him up to the outjuries section because it looks like he's going to be back. So no worries. Also, Kyle Palmieri is looking like he's going to be returning tomorrow for New Jersey. He's off the IR. So Palmieri is going to come back. And I was worried about Palmieri coming back to a team without Taylor Hall. And I was like, ah, I don't really want Palmieri if he's not playing with Hall. But now that they're both going to be back, that's great news. If Palmieri was dropped while he was injured, now's a great time to add him. Brian, we just added him in our joint league, and I'm very excited about it. I think the person who dropped him was pretty dumb, I'm going to have to say. Uh, Palmieri has nine points in 13 games so far in the season, 40 shots. Definitely valuable if Hall is around. We've talked about at length how amazing Taylor Hall has been this season. And if you get to play on the top line and the top power play with him, I would definitely get in on that. So Kyle Palmieri, take a look, see if he's available for you. Might be time to move on from Jesper Bratt. If you haven't already, if you still own him, he's probably going to get bumped. And that's going to be it for his fantasy value for a little while. One guy I would be holding on to, even though he's on a five-game pointless streak and overall has kind of slowed down, is Nico Hischer. It looks like he'll be centering Hall and Palmieri, and I think that could be just what he needs to get his rookie season back on track. So if Hisher was dropped, or if you have him and you were thinking of dropping him, I'd be, I'd be like, hold on, or grab him for the short term. Let's see how he does. I think his cold streak is about to end centering that top line. If you owned any New Jersey Devils for their five-goal outburst against Dallas, you're probably pretty mad when you saw that probably none of them 
were able to get a point unless you had Brian Boyle on your roster for three points or Brian Gibbons for two it was it was night of the Bryans. You wouldn't have really noticed that the Devils had any goals. None of the bigger names were in on the action, save for one Will Butcher Apple. Taylor Hall should be in on most of the action now that he's back in the lineup. And yeah, Elon, you're right. If Kyle Palmieri happens to be available in your league, grab him now. He should be worth it. He also hits. I didn't even realize that. Kyle Palmieri is good. He's really good for everything. He shoots. He hits. He's on the top line, top power play. Grab him. Marcus Johansson is also out. He has an ankle injury. He's on the IR. We don't know when he'll be back. But at this point, it doesn't really seem like he's fantasy relevant anymore. We already talked about how he's not playing with Taylor Hall. And it doesn't seem like it's really worth owning anyone who's not on New Jersey. Brian, I don't really have any other questions for you about the Devils. But maybe you just want to talk about how good Schneider has been. 921 save percentage. He's had three 933-plus save percentage games against me in the Cupful this week, costing me both of my goalie categories, very frustrating. He was bad last year. Why couldn't he be bad again, at least this week? I don't know, because he's been good all season long. He's second in the league in goals saved above average for 60 minutes. Well, that was as of last week, but I imagine that hasn't really changed. Behind only one goalie. Again, Elon, this is as of a week ago, uh, but can you guess who that goalie was? Okay, I have to, can I answer your question with a question? First of all, why are you telling us stats from a week ago? Because that's the that's the last chart I saw that was shared by Sean Tierney at uh, I think he's at Charting Hockey on Twitter. Okay, and, and you're asking me, well, who's the goalie? Who's what? First in the league and goal saved above average per sixty minutes. Okay, and goal saved above average is what? That's like so. There's a calculation to figure out how many goals your average NHL goaltender should save, and then goal saved above average, of course, is is how well you're doing compared to how that average goalie would have done. Okay, give me, uh, I'm probably going to get this wrong. I don't know, Vasilevsky? You're never going to guess. Nobody's going to guess. It's Brian Elliott. How about that? Wow. But back to Corey Schneider, his numbers have bounced back to the levels we saw before last year's catastrophic season. Pretty amazing for him to be succeeding with the defensive core that's in front of him. And I think he can keep this up. I'm not sure the wins will keep coming as frequently it's very possible, Elon, that 920-plus Corey Schneider has returned after a one-year layoff. I guess uh, that's nice for his owners, or maybe it's sell-high time, and maybe they should be worried that another cold streak is coming. Obviously, you don't think so. I, I don't know. I'm on the fence. I don't know. Maybe now would be a time to try to shop him and see you could get. I don't know. Tweet at us at Keeping Carls and let us know what kind of Corey Schneider trades are being thrown at you. One last outjury. Alex Petrangelo back today. Didn't do anything. St. Louis got shut out. But, you know, that's something. Not, not much to say. Like The obvious stuff. Like, Colton Pareko now will get bumped from the top power play. Petrangelo will get back on it. Pareko did well in Petrangelo's absence. So we can watch and see if maybe that leads to him potentially challenging. For now, nothing. It would just be fan fiction and projection things. So let's just move on from that St. Louis defense. I'll mention quickly the lines for the Blues have shifted around again. They've been running with Tarasenko, Shen, and Pajarvi. And then Steen, Stasny, and Yaskin. Of course, they got shut out today. So who knows if that will change. All the right names were at least on the top power play. You know, Tarasenko, Shen, Steen. Stasny and Alex Petrangelo so okay maybe take a look at Pajarvi or Yaskin in a deep league come Wednesday St. Louis plays three games in four nights to end the week which by the way ends on Saturday there's no games on Sunday because of the holiday so yeah I don't know take a look at someone on St. Louis like if you have for example Pajarvi available on an off night playing with Vladimir Tarasenko I'm sure you could do worse probably I think of the options we've mentioned on the show so far, he's probably at the bottom of the list. I guess that's not so far off from Pugliarvi playing with McDavid. And just circling a little further back, Elon, you're talking about Corey Schneider trades. There was a patron I mentioned on the Facebook group 
traded Schneider for Nick Ehlers straight up, and he has three other solid goalies. That seems like a pretty good deal for me. Yeah, depending on your situation. Thank you, Dave, in the chat room for pointing out it was actually Pareko on the top power play today, even though Petrangelo was back. So, okay, this is a situation worth monitoring, and we will do so, and I don't know, we'll, we'll tweet about it, or we'll talk about it in two weeks when we're back. Let's go to our official injuries section now. It would be cool if we had, like, a little sound clip we can play to, like, go, like, injuries, outries. That'd be kind of fun. Anyway, I don't know if someone wants to send us that. Uh, injuries. Devin Dubnik has a lower body injury. He's week to week, but he's traveling with the team on their upcoming road trip. But I read something that it might be because it's like father son like week and he brought his dad and it's already like scheduled. His dad already bought his ticket. So he might be traveling with the team just for that, even though normally he wouldn't be. So I don't know. It says he's week to week and it says he's traveling with the team. So I don't even know what that means, but whatever. Slowly, Devin Dubnik has been inching back to at least league average after a brutal start to the season. He's up to a 916 save percentage right now, but he's injured. He'll probably be back soon or at least sometime soon. In the meantime, Alex Stalock is now the starter. He stopped 16 of 17 shots. In relief for Dubnik on Tuesday against Calgary. He shut out Toronto, stopping 28 on Thursday. He led in 3 of 29 yesterday in the 3-2 loss to the Oilers. And Salak is having a very busy week because he's playing again today. And it looks like Minnesota... Oh, we already talked about it. Yeah, they're losing 2-0 to Chicago. Not so bad. Not so great. Brian, is Alex Stalock a good goalie or what? Like, he sure didn't seem so good at the end of his tenure in San Jose when I thought Antony Yemi was primed to be plucked from that number one job, and he really was. He stunk too, but Alex Stalock didn't do well himself. With Dubnik week to week, people pretty much need to add Stalock, right? Just because he's on such a good team. But I'm curious, like, is he a good goalie? Can you expect at least average numbers, or is he a risky guy to play? He's a risky guy to play. He does not look like starter material from his body of work in the NHL so far. Anton Kudobin seems like a fair comparable. I was looking to find one over uh, over at Ian Fleming's website, dispellingvoodoo.com. He has these charts called the save charts, and they, they display a really handy collection of stats that lets you compare goalies very quickly. I, I recommend you go check it out, dispellingvoodoo.com. He's also on Twitter at Fleming 16 I think. Anyway, uh, Kudobin, Staylock, they seem like a fair co- comparison. But like, keep in mind that Anton Kudobin stunk before that little run he had this year. And it's been the same story with Stalock. He's never really seen any success, let alone sustained success in the NHL. But if there's a good team to help a goalie be successful, we've said it before, we'll say it again, Minnesota certainly qualifies. And that essentially makes him automatically a tier four starter. The rest is up to his own play, which I'm expecting to be okay, but inconsistent. Uh, You can count on hopefully some wins that his team in front of him will earn him. and just hope he can hold it down enough to hang into each matchup. Yeah, so it's kind of like one of those situations where you have to grab the backup just because it's a decent team and just cross your fingers, hope he'll be good. You'll regret it if you didn't add him. Then he might win a couple of games for your opponent or someone else in your league next week. All right, Austin Matthews has been out for a while. I haven't mentioned him. He's been injured like for, I think, our last couple of episodes, but I didn't bring him up because he was always like day-to-day. And I thought, what's the point of talking about Austin Matthews being injured if he's just going to be back like the next day? But okay, let's talk about it now. He has an upper body injury. He's missed four straight now. The Leafs have only scored four times in those four games. So clearly they are missing. Austin Matthews does anyone benefit like normally when a player gets injured who's on you know a top line top power play you want to look at oh so which players now are going to take his role and be able to run with it no I mean if they can't score any goals seems like nobody benefits right all of Toronto has looked pretty awful for a couple weeks running now and Matthews being out certainly hasn't helped 
Okay, great analysis. Well, let's see if we can dig in a little more. I'll ask you about a specific player. William Nylander has been really struggling. He only has one assist in four games with Matthews out, was also pointless in three before the Matthews injury. I thought going into the year that Nylander was looking like he could be like a 65, 70-point guy. He has only 21 in 34 right now, which is a 51-point pace, so well below where I thought he would be, and it continues to sink every game. Do you think that William Nylander will bounce back? Or is this just not his year? Like Marner is actually on a similar pace at this point. What a disappointment for these two Toronto Maple Leafs sophomores. Yeah, sophomores that people were banking on for huge upside. We warned you about Marner. We were kind of still bearish, bullish, bullish, the good one about Nylander, uh, who is now certainly struggling. And I don't know that I see a massive bounce back to what we had hoped would be a breakout season for him. Granted, uh, Nylander has had an awful time converting at even strength. He's shooting just 2% when we'd expect a number at least closer to last year's 8%, though anyone expecting him to reach his 2015-16 mark of 15% shooting percentage is definitely setting their hopes high right now. But even if Nylander managed 8% shooting at even strength, he'd have just about another three goals, which would still put him on respectable, but not breakout exciting type 58-point pace. The upside for Nylander is that he's still pretty good. And all his other individual numbers seem solid. Uh, The downside, of course, is that you're looking at a sub-60 pace for the moment when you might have been hoping for way better. One funny thing about William Nylander's deployment. Last year, around the 15-game mark, he was moved off the line with Austin Matthews and started playing with Nazem Kadri and Leo Komarov. This year, the same thing happened. And now we'll just wait and see if Nylander and Matthews get to reunite around game 55 or 60 as they did last year. And then it ended well, right? Yeah, they were fire down the stretch. So uh, just hang on for another 30 games, Nylander owners. Hope Matthew's healthy by then and uh, that they get to repeat the same pattern, the exact same pattern as last season. I mean, it's possible. I would. Ha- I have Nylander in a pretty shallow league where I think a lot of other teams in this league would have dropped him by now. But I just kind of, like, I'm in first. I'm not too worried, like, whatever, if I'm taking some short-term losses. I'm still winning my weeks. I'm I'm banking on him doing well at some point, hopefully down the stretch. Brian, let me know. Message me at some point or tweet out of our out of our Twitter account at Keeping Carlson if you think that people should just give up on Nylander at some point when it happens. I'm just gonna cut in here, Elon. We have breaking news about Brock Besser. Seems like uh, I'm just trying to get off Twitter exactly what is happening. Sounds like there might be like some someone said. I hope it's just his skate that was broken, and Bob McKenzie said not his skate. And uh, James Myrtle says Besser's in big trouble. Of course, you'll know more about this by the time you hear the podcast. But that is awful, awful news for the Canucks. With who's out already? Horvat. Yeah, Horvat is out. This is terrible. Oi, man. And if you're enjoying the production of someone like Daniel Sedin or Henrik Sedin, they've been doing well. Like that's not good if you lose Horvat and Besser. So, ugh, and you know how good. he got injured, Elon? I don't know. Something with his skate. He blocked a shot. Why? Come on. Don't do that. Why did Eric Carlson have... And his team was on the power play when he blocked the shot. Uh, Ugh. uh, Yeah, Eric Carlson blocked eight shots, like I said, in the last game. Why is he doing that? Come on. Superstars shouldn't do that. Okay. Stop it. Well, let's keep... We're going to have to keep going, Brian. (laughs) This is sad news. More sad news is that Logan Couture... Uh, has a head injury, maybe a concussion. So that's a tough break. He's been doing great this year. Couture is up to 26 points in 31 games. A really nice bounce back after a disappointing year last year. Looks like LeBanc 
to Couture's spot on power play one, but it was only for like 30 seconds in the last game. So I don't know, worth keeping an eye out and adding the player who takes the Couture like line two power play one spot. Or are we kind of like over recommending the LeBoncs and Donskoys and Melkers and Timo Myers of the world? Like, does it even matter who gets on that top power play? So over recommending those guys. It's the same old story in San Jose. Pavelski, Thornton, Couture, and Burns are the Sharks skaters to own. Everyone else is a random streamer who you can stream, but don't count on getting any points from them. I don't know the last time. Like, I've tried streaming in a Shark, and I don't know the last time I actually hit on one for the game that I had them in my lineup for. Bummer. Yeah, Melker's on line one. Melker Carlson doing nothing. Eric is heating up, so obviously Melker has to do nothing, according to my theory. I don't know, with William and Eric doing so well this season, there's no room for Melker Carlson to put up points. So forget about him, even if he's on the top line with the Joes. Brian, should people who held on and didn't sell low on Brent Burns send you a holiday gift basket? Like, you were saying during this whole cold streak, you're not even, like, worried at all about Burns. You said, like, maybe Pavelski, but Burns, like, I'm not worried at all. He seems to be 100% back to his old self. Five goals and three assists in his last five games. Six of the eight points have been on the power play, so he's, like, killing it on that San Jose power play. 28 shots also in those five games, which is crazy. I mean, okay, not to be picky, I'd prefer he could do a little bit better with the blocks, even though I was just complaining before about these other superstar players blocking, but I kind of was expecting Brent Burns to give me at least a block or two a game since I traded for him. He has no blocks in his last four, but okay, whatever. Great job, Brent Burns! Also, no hits in his last two games. Wow, you just want more and more and more, don't you, Elon? Never satisfied. Yeah, well, but congratulations, Brian. You were right about Brent Burns. I mean... I guess we all should have known. I think when I was saying on the podcast, I think I was agreeing with you. I hope I was. Anyways, uh, since we're on San Jose, we got to mention Martin Jones, who continues to struggle, and Aaron Dell continues to slay. Jones lost to Vancouver on Friday 4-3. He hasn't put up a greater than 900 save percentage game in his last five games. Meanwhile, Aaron Dell has won four in a row with a 941 save percentage or higher in each of those four games. I feel like people need to strongly consider adding Arendelle at this point, right? Like, seems like a, a very serious threat to Jones for me. I've been seeing on Twitter some people saying how, like, it's not fair. Dell's been playing against easier competition. Jones has been playing all the hard teams. Like, Vancouver's not such a hard team, though, and he lost to them on Friday. But yeah, fair enough. Like, maybe Arendelle shutting out the Ottawa Senators wasn't, like, the hardest thing to do in the world. But still, I think it looks like there's a serious threat right now to Jones as a starting goalie. I would be nervous as a Jones owner, and I would be pretty excited to add Arendelle right now out of free agency. Like, curious, I'm curious to know, Brian, like, who do think is a more serious threat right now between Steve Mason and Aaron Dell? It's Aaron Dell. I tweeted out a save chart earlier today. I blacked out the goalie's names. I said, can you guess the goalie controversy? This was it. It was Aaron Dell, whose numbers look phenomenal, albeit in a small sample. But still, you got to find out if he can keep that up. There's no guarantee he can in a starter or timeshare role. But if I'm San Jose, I would really like to find out if he can put up better numbers than my starter, who has not held his own all that well lately as for facing weaker competition like yeah he played calgary ottawa philly vegas those aren't necessarily the weakest teams and any nhl game is probably a tougher one it used to be way back when goalies like automatically like the backup would face the bad team i i remember this clearly as an ottawa senators fan in the early to mid 90s you would see every other team's backup goalie all the time that's the way that were deployed it's not exactly the same in the NHL these days and there's much more parity in the league so I would still give credit to Dell where credit is due and I think if you have Martin Jones as I do in one league it's time to make sure you have 
a plan B in case Martin Jones does not continue getting uh, more starts than his backup. Yeah, and Brian, speaking of goalies at risk of potentially losing their jobs, let's also mention Ben Bishop, who has been struggling badly, leading to Kari Lettinen getting three straight starts last week. Kari was great in two of those starts, but then he took a tough 5-2 loss to New Jersey on Friday. Then Bishop played well yesterday, stopping 28 of 30 shots into an overtime loss to Philly. So maybe this situation has resolved itself. I don't know, it was one like bad game from Lettinen and one good game from Bishop, enough to reverse everything that happened before that. Like, Brian, you're a Bishop owner as well, I know, in the couple. And I'm wondering, should people be jumping on Lettinen right now? I know you added Lettinen, right? And, you know, the thing is, on the counterpoint would be, even with his recent good games, Lettinen overall only has a 907 save percentage on the season. Bishop has a 910, which is also not great, but better than Lettinen. Like, I'm curious to know overall, like, how are you ranking, like, Mason Dell? Well, you already actually said Dell over Mason. Lettinen is obviously behind Dell, right? Yeah, behind Dell, probably still ahead of Mason. I was worried as a Bishop owner uh, earlier in the week, but a bad start from Kerry Lettinen, which of course he was on my roster for, and a good run from Bishop, that eases my concern that things might get back to normal. I'm still wondering if Lettinen sees more game action than we'd expected. Maybe he can cam ward his way into extra starts by being a better backup than he was a starter. And for anyone such as myself who may have been thinking with both these goalies not doing great this year, like, dang, I'm surprised on the whole that Ken Hitchcock hasn't whipped this Dallas team into better defensive shape. Ken Hitchcock actually has. Dallas has the fourth best score adjusted even strength shot attempt share in the league, the fewest even strength shot attempts against per game, the third lowest even strength expected goals against per game. But the Stars team even strength save percentage ranks 21st in the league. So something is a little off when the goalies are being given all the protection they can, but they're still not able to stop the shots. But that's still a lot of positive defensive progress, and I still think that Bishop and Lettinen are capable of playing well enough to reap some rewards from it. As a Bishop owner, I desperately hope that he's the one who gets to do it, especially after having owned Lettinen, suffered through Lettinen last year, to have that come back and bite me, and he somehow usurps Bishop. Maybe I need to just get over Dallas goalies. I thought Hitchcock would solve the problem. Seems like he solved part of it, Let's hope the rest gets figured out soon. Well, yeah, I think the problem is these might not be great goalies. Like, I don't think Lettinen's ever going to usurp Bishop overall. It At worst, I think it would be like a 50-50 type thing. But like Bishop wasn't good last year. Like that's the risk when you sign a goalie who had a bad season. Like you have to hope he pulls a Corey Schneider and not, uh, I don't know, like some goalie like Mason who keeps on struggling year after year. and People keep hoping he'll go back to his old self. Yeah, like, I mean, hopefully Bishop can bounce back. But I don't know. I think Dallas might have made a mistake signing him to such a long contract uh okay there's let's get so we're out of injuries and outjuries by the way in the chat room here people describing what they're reading on twitter about this brock besser injury it is not looking good this is some sad stuff like there's references of a severed like come on you're a joke. <laughs> they, they, yeah he also apparently according to our chat room called his own ambulance on the bench while stopping the blood okay you know what i was only partially reading that and i thought that <laughs> serious i okay that's good well hopefully that means he's fine uh so let's stick with no, it, does, it doesn't mean he's fine it means it's it is sufficiently grisly i mean it's a little sensationalist in the chat room right now uh but yeah it's really really didn't look good he dragged himself off the ice like one leg dragging across he was on all fours it, it was ugly you've probably seen the gif by now i don't need to describe it oh my god are you sure that that's real and not something the chat room is trying to troll us about? Yes, I am. 
Right. <laughs> what do you want me to say? I don't know. Okay. Let's okay. Enough about that. I want to stick with goalies. Uh, Craig Anderson, Brian, finally putting two good games together in a row. That is sadly good news at this point for him. He broke Ottawa's five game losing streak with a three, two win over the Rangers on Wednesday. I guess other players helped as well. Then also Anderson shut out the Habs yesterday, stopping 28 in the outdoor game. Brian, is this a sign of things to come? If, he had been dropped to free agency. Is now the time for everyone to jump back on board the Craig Anderson train? I'm curious, to know, like, how does he compare Craig Anderson to the, like the Varlamovs, Rhymers, Rantas, etc. of the world? You know, like these low end starting goalies in fantasy. It seemed like Anderson had joined that group. Is he a cut above these guys, or do you still have him planted with that group? And please don't rant about the Sens management. Just like answer Craig Anderson. Well, the thing that Eugene Melnick has done wrong for so... No, okay, sorry. Uh, Anderson is still in that class of goalie that you mentioned. I'm not about to change anything based on two games, especially when one of them was an outdoors game. By the way, playing an outdoors game in mid-December with a 7 p.m. start time, that was crazy. Obviously, I think Anderson can play better than he has so far. So I think there's upside to be able to be better than, well, like especially the Ranta and hopefully Varlamov of the group, but he's still around that area at the moment. I have Scott Darling in a league where wins are most important and save percentage isn't counted. And Anderson is a free agent. I've been thinking about making the switch, but I haven't gotten there yet. So I guess that helps describe exactly where I'm at on Craig Anderson. Okay, fair enough. Well, something to watch if he was dropped in your league, at least put a star beside his name. Like if it's a shallow league where not every starting goalie is owned, maybe this could be a sign of good things to come. But yeah, it's only two games, small sample size so far. By the way, let's mention though, in those two games, Bobby Ryan has two goals and an assist. He had a goal in one of the games, a goal assist in the other. And he couldn't be in a better spot playing with Stone and Duchesne at even strength and on the top power play with Duchesne, Hoffman, Stone, and Carlson. So if there's ever a time to consider adding Bobby Ryan, maybe now is it. Like I'm definitely not saying like expect Bobby Ryan to go in a huge run right now. But if you're in a deepish league and he's available, he's in a good spot and he's producing right now. So, I mean, what else can you ask for? Yeah, he hadn't scored in a month before reappearing on our radars. So keep that in mind. He was cold for a very long time. And uh, I don't know. I really haven't changed much on him. Same line as for the past couple of years. You can stream him in, but keep your expectations low and do not stubbornly hold him beyond the time he's producing, thinking that he has returned to his career peak pace. Uh, he's not getting back there. So enjoy it while it lasts. Cut bait quickly once it runs dry. Okay, Brian, actually, I meant to ask you this when we were talking about Dallas. Are you into Essa Lindell? He's four assists in his last five games on Dallas. He's on the top pairing with Klingberg and getting second power play time. I didn't really have him on my radar, but I think I saw on Facebook you talking to people saying that you are into Essa Lindell right now. Mm, The thing is that I'm not totally sold on him. I'm not that into him. Three of his last four assists on this run have been secondaries. I did recommend Lindell over Edler in a private chat to one of our patrons uh, who is, is a, has access to us by DM. You can patreon.com slash Kevin Carlson if you want to find out more about that perk. Uh, then obviously Edler got a point the next game. Uh, but my recommendation of Lindell over Edler was more about Edler having been bad than Lindell being a better long-term option. My advice was to add Lindell while he's rolling, but I wouldn't tolerate more than like two games of nothing from him if other better deployed options like Edler are still available. Okay, so there you go. Essel and Dell, if you're in a deep league, you need D. He's a guy who's doing something and he's getting good minutes. Let's go to more hot streaks. Danton Heinen has three goals and three assists in his last six games for the Boston Bruins. He scored yesterday, even though he was bumped from the top power play for Ryan Spooner. So Heinen was playing with Riley Nash and David Backus at even strength. 
which isn't great. Uh, but Boston is one of only three teams that play four times next week. So it may be worth grabbing someone from that team. Brian, is Danton Heinen the best forward option available outside of obviously Bergeron, Pasternak, Marshawn, and Krejci? Or is it maybe Spooner, who has four points in the last five games? Or is it David Backus, who's pointless in his last four games, but, you know, he's someone that once was good at getting points? Like, if someone wants to stream a Bruin for their great schedule, who are you going with? The fifth best Bruin stream option is probably Danton Heinen. Uh, I'm talking forwards only because Tori Krug would obviously be in the mix. Otherwise, Heinen has three goals on 13 shots, two secondary helpers in his last five games. So that's great. But the secondary part of his assist production and his high shooting percentage uh, means that, yeah, he's not going to be able to keep either one up or you can't really count on it. I still like his shot counts though. And he's probably, he's probably right up there with Spooner as the fifth best forward to add on Boston. Jake DeBrusque, if you want to go even deeper, probably the seventh best Bruin forward to stream in. Yeah. And if your league has a hits category, you could always stream in David Backus. Yeah. Games on Monday and Tuesday. Try to like, you know, jump ahead in hits and then maybe drop him for someone else for the rest of the week. Something to consider also. Brian, remember how going into the season when we would talk like during our summer series and we'd be asking people on the Facebook group, like, who do you want on Colorado? People would be like, and we would talk about Nathan McKinnon specifically. People like, I don't want Nathan McKinnon because he's on Colorado and they're a disaster. Well, like Nathan McKinnon, we just have to mention him. I know it's not the most fantasy relevant thing to talk about just because obviously you don't have access to Nathan McKinnon right now. He's obviously owned, but he's just doing so well. I just want to mention, he's, he had two goals and assists yesterday. He had a two-goal game on Thursday, and McKinnon is up to 38 points in 32 games on the season. He is killing it. And then, like, people were saying they don't want McKinnon because of Colorado. They didn't want anyone on Colorado. But, like, we've got Miko Rantanen. He has five points in his last five games. He has 27 points in 32 overall. So that's a 69-point pace for Miko Rantanen. Then we have Gabriel Landeskog, who had a huge night last night versus Tampa Bay. Three goals and two assists. Brings him up to 24 points in 28 games, which is a 70-point pace. Though, just goes to show you how one game can really affect that point pace. Because he was on a 58-point pace before yesterday, which is still good. 70 is a lot better. Brian, is all this production sustainable for the Colorado top line of McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog? Like, do you see McKinnon getting like 75 to 80 points this year and Rantanen and Landeskog putting up like around 65 each? If I had to pick one of these guys to keep up their current pace based on the way their percentages are playing out, it would be Miko Rantanen. But even he should see at least some regression. Elon, you're probably in the right neighborhood, maybe say 65 points from him. And actually looking at Rantanen's rates instead of percentages, you'd think that he'd actually have gone down in production rather than up. Uh, McKinnon and Landeskog both seeing incredible shooting success, which Rantanen is, of course, cashing in on, but I wouldn't expect it to hold for the group as a whole. McKinnon, though, is especially interesting. He's shooting twice his usual even strength shooting percentage, but like that's a big deal because his even strength shooting percentage has been really low the last couple of years, lower than you'd expect for most guys you, ex- you hope can have upside as a goal scorer. So like, I'm still wondering if McKinnon's established a true personal average that we can use as a baseline for his shooting percentage because of how weird the last couple of years have been in Colorado. Then again, perhaps it's just optimistic on my part. And yeah, just to round it out, nice resurgence from Gabriel Landeskog, a fun line on the whole, all of them definitely worth rostering. Well, yeah, and the sky is blue. Uh, but yeah, like 
McKinnon is really, really good. Like he, we saw how good he could be like in other tournaments, you know, as the world hockey championships or whatever. He, he was clearly dominating and clearly last year he was hurting from this Colorado team being such a disaster, but they've got something working at least for that top line and top power play. Amazing to see. And yeah, bringing those guys along with them, even though obviously Ranton and Landis got good players on their own. Oh, then we have Tyson Barry. He had three assists yesterday. He has 25 points in 31 games on the year. He doesn't help you at all in hits and blocks, but he's right there among top scoring defensemen right now. He's tied for second with Carlson and Dowdy. That's John Carlson, actually. And he's two behind Klingberg, who, who Klingberg is leading defenseman in scoring. And also Tyson Barry has played three less games than those guys. So he's having an amazing year. Eric Johnson, by the way, who's not like, you know, an offensive superstar, but he's really good for peripherals. He's been suspended for two games for boarding Nemesnikov on Friday. So he won't be back until Saturday against Arizona. So keep that in mind. If you were thinking of streaming him in for next week, don't do that. Brian, fun fact. There's a fifth person on the Colorado top power play. So we've talked about McKinnon, Ranton, Landeskog, Tyson Berry, all doing great. That usually means you really want to get whoever that fifth guy is on the unit. I know you've seen my notes. Did you have any idea who it was in the last game before you read what I wrote? I could have guessed because when Gabriel Landeskog was out and suspended, I mentioned JT Comfort and you were just like, who is this guy? Nobody cares. Landeskog's coming back. So forget it. Let's move on. Well, I guess now he's still on the top power play. So that must mean he's maybe relevant. Though at the same time, he's not really doing anything. To me, he seems kind of, he's like the Letestu or the Killorn or the Marcus Granlund, like basically a bottom sixer who somehow is on the top power play. Like So of that, that group that I gave you, this esteemed group of players who are, in their, who are on their team's bottom sixes, but somehow on the top power play units, who would you want between Comfer, Letestu, Killorn, and Marcus Granlund? Man, I don't know. I, those are all very similar guys. Maybe Alex Killorn, he's shown a little more staying power than anyone else in the group, although Latestu has shown plenty. But uh, hmm, the Oilers are still working out that power play, so I'm not ready to buy in completely just because he's there. Anyway, as for Comfer himself, uh, for anyone wondering who this guy is, he had a nice little run earlier this season, Elon, when I brought him up. Nothing fancy, though. Just barely above a half point per game for a 10-game stretch while he was on power play one with Landeskog out. He's 22 years old, early second round pick of the Buffalo Sabres in 2015. His rights were traded to Colorado from Buffalo in the deal that saw Ryan O'Reilly become a Sabre. Uh, Duchesne being dealt away from Colorado opened up a top six spot that Comfer is now trying to earn full time, opened a spot in the top power play, I guess, too. Uh, So he's someone to keep an eye on just based on his deployment, emerging as a potentially decent streaming option. Like, I would prefer him over any shark. Well... You mean like those guys like Timo Meyer and Malcolm yeah. Carl? Okay. Huh, that's interesting. Michael in the chat room said that is a revolting list of fantasy hockey options. So he's not into any of those guys. Top power play. I guess it goes to show that sometimes top power play doesn't mean production. But you would think like, why are you on there if you're not going to help get points? That's the whole point of a power play. Anyway, Brian, speaking of top power play guys not producing, is it time for people to give up on TJ Brody? After a super hot start, he's pointless in seven, only has two assists in his last 14 games. He had 14 points in 19 games to start the year. And now he's gone on this garbage run. Like, would you add him in any of your leagues? Like in the couple, if he was dropped, you were saying before how you don't have such great defensemen, but would TJ Brody be better than the guys you have? I'll tell you, I'd much rather prefer Colin Miller. And this is what TJ Brody has done for the last few seasons. Uh, and, and it's cataloged on our show where you say, TJ Brody is doing amazing. Everyone needs to add him. And I'll say, yeah, he's still on power play one for some reason. You might as well add him while he's there. And then we're talking about how he's snoozing two weeks later. He goes pretty hot and very cold 
And uh, it depends if you want to stick with them through the hard times to cash in on the good times. But I would prefer someone like Colin Miller to him. By the way, Colin Miller scored a goal today after we talked about him. So he keeps rolling. Maybe it's time for people to add him. Unfortunately, Vegas only plays twice next week. So if you're streaming people in, he might not be the best option in terms of games played. But maybe that means that you add him. You're not going to have any competition to add him. And then hopefully he keeps rolling afterwards. Brian, so since we're on Calgary, I guess same kind of goes with TJ Brody. Also, Michael Furland is on not only the top power play, but also the top line still with Goudreau and Monaghan. Great spot. But he only has three points in his last 10 games. He's really tough for me. Like I feel like it's hard to recommend for people to drop someone in such an amazing spot. But it's also hard to recommend a nobody like Michael Furland when he's cold. So where do you land on this? Is he someone that you would say people should hold on to because of his spot? Or do you drop him because he's cold? He's another good stream option. You can hope you can hit on him. I wouldn't want to have him in my lineup day in, day out, though. I just don't think he's going to reward you that much. So, uh, yeah, I guess my answer is you don't need to hold on for life despite his deployment. But you can enjoy him as a streamer if you need him on an off night or if he'll fit into your lineup and you've got a move available. Yeah, I think during his hot stretch, people were like holding on to him as like a main guy on their roster and streaming like other players. Seems like he's in the streaming category. A good guy to keep on your watch list if you need a game, but not someone who you could depend on for reliable production. Makes sense. Okay, Brian, Tyler Johnson continues to scorch in Tampa Bay. He has 14 points in 10 games since he's moved into the top six. He's on line two with Braden Point and Andre Palat. How are these numbers looking for Tyler Johnson? Like overall, I see 14 points in the last 10 games. Have these, has this been kind of sustainable production? Like obviously not over a point per game, but are you liking what he's doing? Or do you think that this is like clear regression bound to happen soon? I think this is sustainable. The same way that what Vladislav Nemesnikov was doing earlier this season with fantastic line mates was also sustainable. It's kind of hard to just tease out what's been happening over the last 10 games while Johnson has been amazing. Unfortunately, there's no resource right now where you can choose a date range to check the numbers for that. So I'm just eyeballing things. And yeah, like maybe he has a goal or two more than he should have based on his shooting percentages. And yeah, sure, a handful of secondary assists, but still 14 points in 10 games. I don't care if it's sustainable. I'm getting on that train. Yeah, well, I'm just gonna throw it out there. I sold high, hopefully. I mean, if he does well, that's good. Because hey, if you make a trade with someone, you want it to be a win-win. I needed to clear out some space. So I send off the red-hot Tyler Johnson. I get back the slumping and injured Dustin Bufflin. So I hope it works for everybody. But yeah, like Tyler Johnson is looking really good right now, like you say. Might be time, though, if you're an owner of his, to see who you can get for him. Though, keep in mind, he's usually only center eligible and he seems to still be center eligible in all the major platforms. You'd have to imagine he's going to be getting right wing soon. He's been right wing now for 10 games. So, yeah, keep an eye on that. Like, if you're thinking, oh, I can't like hold this guy because he's only a center, it might not last. Or maybe it will. You never know with these platforms. I guess you could message ESPN supporter Yahoo or Fantrax and try to get them to turn that around. I don't know if that actually works or not. Brian, let's end the show in Columbus. Another team with four games next week. So I mentioned that Boston was one of them. Columbus is also one of them. Uh, maybe I'll say later what the other one is. I don't have it off the top of my head. I think it's Philly. That's that's what's coming to my brain. Anyways, if you want to grab someone on Columbus, maybe Oliver Bjorkstrand is the one you should go for. He's on a run of eight points in his last six games. He's playing with Wenberg and Atkinson, who both have also started showing signs of life in the last couple of games. So the latest Columbus lines have been Panarin, Dubois, Anderson, which I know you have dubbed the coattail line. And then you have Atkinson, Bjorkstrand, and Wenberg, and then Felino, Jenner, and Calvert. And by the way, you could add Boone Jenner to the list of bottom sixers playing on the top power play. He's been on the top power play with Panarin, Wenberg, Atkinson, and Wierenski. 
So maybe Boone Jenner is actually the best of that group just because he also takes shots. But anyways, I wanted to talk about Oliver Bjorkstrand, who, like I said, is on a good run, seems to have good line mates, is likely a free agent in a lot of leagues, and is playing four games next week. So do you agree that people should be looking to add Oliver Bjorkstrand? Yeah, and really any free agent Columbus player. There's so many guys who had been underwhelming to start the season and now are getting on a bit of a run or might be have been ignored in deeper leagues, even though we've mentioned them on Keeping Carlson before. Guys like Pierre-Luc Dubois, Artemi Panarin. Well, obviously he's gone. I meant to say Alex Wenberg, Josh Anderson really keeping things up beyond what we had expected. So props to him. I've forgotten who I've said and who I haven't. Cam Atkinson, if he's been dropped in your league. Did I say Pierre-Luc Dubois? Did I, I, I did. And Alex Wenberg. Oliver Bjorkstrand belongs in that group. The one Columbus Blue Jacket who's still struggling. Nick Foligno, who's not getting in on any of this action. Three goals, no assists in his last 10 games. Only 19 shots. He's snoozing. You can drop him now unless you really love his hits. And like that is reason enough to keep holding on for like 50, 55 point upside. Otherwise, yeah, you can let him go. Yeah, I don't even know if he has that upside. Like I said, he's in the bottom six right now, playing on a line with Jenner and Calvert. I guess, yeah, I'd rather have Boone Jenner than Nick Foligno right now, even though they're on the same line. But Boone Jenner is the one getting the top power play time. I should also mention Brandon Dubinsky is injured for Columbus. He wasn't super fantasy relevant, but he also brings the hits. A lot of people on Columbus hit a lot. I just realized, do most teams have so many hitters in their like top six or top nine? You got Foligno, Jenner, and Brandon Dubinsky, all guys who are talked about as very valuable in hits. It's interesting. I just realized that. Huh. What does that say about the team's style if all these guys are hitting all the time? It means they're coached by John Tortorella for sure. One player, by the way, that I'd like over Nick Foligno, Philip Dano, who has seven points in his last eight games. He had seven points in seven until he went pointless with the rest of his team against Ottawa in the outdoor game. Three goals and four assists in that run. 14 shots on goal. We've mentioned him before on the show as somebody, well, he's a good streamer. He's someone who, who has a decent chance of hitting the score sheet any given night. He's had little hot runs too, making him worth keeping on your roster for brief periods. This could be another time to give him a turn if he's better than your bottom roster player. Yeah, I'm taking a look at the Habs lines. Looks like Dano was playing with Pacioretty and Paul Byron in the last game. So obviously that's a good spot to be on if you're playing with Max Pacioretty. Not that Max Pacioretty has been like so amazing, but you'd think it would be a good spot to be in anyways. The Habs lines are so weird. They've got Gallagher, Houdon, and Placanic. Galchenyuk with Druin and Shaw and Pacioretty with Dano and Byron. So like, you know, the big names there, like Pacioretty, like Druin and, you know, Druin and Galchenyuk together and Gallagher, like all on different lines. Gallagher, by the way, was on a really great run for a while. He's gone cold recently and his line doesn't look good. He's still taking shots. I don't know. I don't know what to make of the Habs. A friend of mine who's a Habs fan messaged me saying that he's like very confident they're going to trade one of Galchenyuk or Pacioretty before the trade deadline this year. And so for what it's worth, that's the buzz going around in Habstown. The buzz going around in Habstown. It sounds like a really great straight-to-video movie. Yeah, maybe it could be the name of this episode, The Buzz Going Around Habstown. I don't know. <laughs> no, it no, will not be. It's not up to the caliber of amazing names <laughs> that Brian usually comes up with, references to all the greatest songs of our past. We'll see what he comes up with today. Tonight's Brian... is a doozy for anyone who loves the Ronettes. What's that? Is that a band? <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's a, like from the 60s. And the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Oh, I've heard of that movie. So that'll be nice. Maybe something someone's heard of. Is it Time of Your Life? Isn't that from Dirty Dancing? Or am I thinking of a player's movie? name could we put in there? I've had the time. Time of your Shifley. Time, time of my Shifley. Okay. 
I guess if we were on a Patreon I'd spend more time thinking <laughs> about it and wasting all the listeners' time. But this is a regular episode, so why don't we wrap this up? This has been a lot of fun. Our last episode, I guess, our last regular episode of 2017. Thanks to everyone who tuned in. Hopefully, we've given you some good fantasy advice. If you're jonesing for more advice, you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. We'd also just love to hear from you. Let us know what you think of the show. We'll try to get back at you. Or if you want like advice from a lot of people and get Brian and my full attention, like you know, multiple times a day, you could check out our Keeping Carlson Patron only Facebook group, which is available to patrons of Keeping Carlson. So you can check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron to get all of that information. Also, as a patron, you get a lot of bonus content. We give you a show every week, except for just one week. In a couple of weeks, we're not going to do it. But aside, but hey, who knows? Maybe we'll try to figure something out. Anyway, that is our show. Like I said, what do I also usually say? Oh, yeah, give us a five-star review on iTunes. If, if you'd like to, we would appreciate it. It's kind of nice when we could get things that help our show be more famous. Because believe it or not, I think... And we say at the start of the show that we're the best fantasy hockey podcast out there. We're not actually that famous. Like, you know, Brian and I aren't uh, getting calls from TSN and ESPN. They're not knocking on our door being like, how do I get access to these guys? So, you know, that would be nice one day. I don't know if you're listening. What oh am my I? God. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> Let's cue the outro music. And hey, why don't you go ahead and read us some credits, Brian? Yeah, thanks to uh, Shumarok16, Hopeful Crescent, Thickbot, Main314, Ollie Dow, the boss Kurt, for leaving us some recent fantastic five-star reviews. We really, really appreciate that. As always, this episode of Keeping Carlson was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest ones, Scott F., Thomas D.P., Riley W., Ryan M., Adam P., Eric S. It's always nice to keep new people coming into our Keeping Carlson community. We hope you'll consider it, too. This episode was researched with help from... Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job as always, Brian. Happy holidays to everyone. And we'll get back with you with a new episode in the new year. Until then, happy holidays, everyone. And keep on keeping Carl son. I already said happy holidays. Why, why can't you think of something original to say? Merry Christmas and happy Hanukkah and happy Kwanzaa. Okay, it's still similar vein, but okay, I guess we'll have to go with it. Bye, everyone!